comparative studies show that employees who have a good mentor relationship receive higher pay, more promotions and feel more satisfied in their careers compared to employees without a mentor. Can you afford not to have one? My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast episode 7. Thank you for joining us as we explore the good, the bad and the ugly behaviour of bosses. This podcast seeks to entertain, educate and hopefully change some behaviour to make working life better for all. The episode this month is a little ironic because, as a journalist, my guest Aileen C. O'Reilly is used to telling the stories of others. She's not used to answering the questions. I had met Aileen years ago when I worked in the charity sector and she was a staff writer with a major Irish newspaper. Back then, she was at the top of her game. A young journalist with her own column, the party lifestyle that everyone would envy and her contact list was like a who's who of international celebrities. We had recently reconnected and when we met up for the podcast, I hadn't spoken to her face to face in 19 years. I had no idea what she'd been through. I thought she'd be able to spill the beans on the good and the bad bosses in print journalism, but it was so much more. As the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast evolves, so do the depth of the stories. In this episode, we of course go off topic, but it really was worth it this time. Aileen shares with us a truly amazing tale of success, struggle, stasis, and ultimately reanimation. I am biased, but I found this fascinating, and I hope you do too. Hello, Aileen O'Reilly. Hello, Stephen. You're very, very, very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast. We are here in Dublin's Convention Centre on the banks of the Liffey, uh, the EMCC, the European Mentoring and Coaching Council International Conference has just finished and Aileen O'Reilly has joined me here uh, to have a little bit of a debrief and talk about the good bosses and the bad bosses in her life. Why am I talking to Aileen? She's a really interesting character. Oh, thank and you very much. We, we go back a long way, but funnily enough, we've had a, a bit of a hiatus in between yes. in relation to our contact with Nearly each other. two decades worth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I met you when I was about 22. Yeah. Uh, I was working for a charity. You were in the... the Sunday Indo at the time. The Sunday Indo. Yeah. And we both ended up dressed as Santa. Yes. Yes. Cycling for charity down to Cork well, from you Dublin. Si- you cycled. I stayed and, and offered immoral support from the jeep following the cycle. Yeah, well, we wouldn't yes. have got fed if it hadn't been for you, if well, I remember is, that correctly. Um, yes. I Ailey, served my purpose. And some purpose that was because I remember that from the jeep, each time that we would move yeah. from town to town, Aileen would arrange for free pubs to give us yes. food. And We bullied them into it. We, we bullied them in. Persuasion yes. is the word you're Persuasion. looking for. Persuasion, <laughs> yes. So it was a, it, an amazing time. I was a I was a very young man. You yeah. were a very young woman as yes. well. Yes, I had a few years on you, Stephen. But yeah, I was very very young, obviously. And and it was an amazing time. But a few years ago, we reconnected again, and yes. I couldn't believe the story that had happened in between. Yes. Uh, it was a fascinating story, which we'll, which we'll get into in the minute. But back then, when, when we knew each other, when we were in our twenties, you were in journalism. You yes. were flying high, an up and comer for sure. Yes. And you're back there now and you're writing thank again. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Yes. There's been a bit of a hiatus, but I'm back on track, which is fantastic. So c- as, as we will, we'll get straight into it. Ta- okay. Tell us your story. So so you're, where are you from? OK, so I'm from a little village outside Dublin, around 12 miles out called Newcastle. Right. And I grew up there. And initially I wanted to be an artist. 
I spent all my senior cycle studying to get into NCAD and that didn't work. And I was offered uh, a course in Bolton Street studying printing of all things. So I took it because it was all I was offered and I was very young. I went into college at 17. So I didn't really know my backside from my elbow at that stage. And I, I got thrown out of the course after two years because I failed and I had to basically do something to earn credits to get back into studying printing and I went and did a publishing course and it was from doing the publishing course a print and publishing course that I ended up as a runner in the independent so I was going around back in the day in the early 90s basically getting coffee for people getting lunch for people bringing copy from 8B bringing photographs which nothing was online there was no online at this stage everything was by foot there were typewriters in the office so I, I have an image of um, of uh, Metropolis and Lois Lane yes. and Clark Kent. It this is what the it wasn't far off that. Really, I think Clark Kent had a computer. We had a few. The computers were literally coming into the Independent at that stage. How did it even work? It it's ma- when I look back now. When I look back now, the amount of work, extra work you had to do, nothing was online. All research was done going through books, going through cuttings in the cuttings office, getting physical photographs out of the files to put with everything was pasted up in in the room. And it was all, you know, it it was prehistoric compared to now. And how did you move from getting coffee to writing for the Well, that's a funny story. I knew I, I had known from a very young age I wanted to write because I remember I copied out Red Riding Hood when I was around six from one of my storybooks. And you I hand, copied it? Copied it. You cheated? I, cheated. <laughs> I handed it to my dad and I said, I want this published. And he tried <laughs> to explain to me. He said, no, you have can only publish your own story. And I said, that's in five different storybooks I have. I want my one to go in. <laughs> so he sent me away with a flea in my ear and he said, write your own story and we'll see what can be done. So he's convinced Do you know, from... I think he's wrong. They've yeah. they've 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 done the little red riding story. Absolutely. They've done it loads. I feel very cheated. So I went off and wrote a story at age six called Sneaky Snake. Brilliant. And basically my dad managed to fudge why that couldn't be published. It was very busy or something. But from that <laughs> age I remember I was constantly writing poetry, stories. It was all there. Your dad was your first editor. Yes. Then. Yes. Uh, but he gave good feedback, obviously. He gave good he was he was he was tactful. He was tactful. So, but uh, yes, both my parents are absolute cheerleaders. All my family are complete yeah. cheerleaders for me now. And so wh- what was your very first article that you got published? My very first article was in the Independent because I drove the poor features editor mad. I kept pitching ideas to him because I wanted to write. And eventually I, I kept handing him in ready-made finished articles. And my first one was about St. Valentine. It was oh, coming yeah. up to Valentine's Day and I'd handed this in a week in advance and there was no hope. There was just no hope. But yeah. unfortunately for the other girl whose article was due to go in on Valentine's Day, it fell through. Oh. And mine was used to fill a hole, basically. <laughs> and that was the start. And yeah. that's the way all good things it's happen, isn't and it? <laughs> and it's been an absolute addiction to see my mm. work in print ever since. Really? That's, yeah. that's your flow there, There's moment. no other high. There is nothing like it. It's giving yeah. birth and it's the christening shot, basically. And, and and so from that Valentine's article, that was the first article. That was the first one. Then did it take a while to get the second yes, it one did. and third? And I, I had to have a chat with, I, I assumed, obviously, when that went in, this was it. I was literally going to be given a staff job. Right, I just yeah, assumed. Yeah. Yes. Unpublished. Yes. <laughs> and 
I remember the following. I was in there every Friday when I was doing my course. I was in there. I, we had Fridays free. So I was in there and I walked in the next Friday like I was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah. And yeah. my boss said, will you go and get me a coffee? And I was shocked. <laughs> I was absolutely shocked. And I turned around <laughs> and everyone was in the office. And I said to him, look, you need to take me seriously now. I'm not your gopher anymore. I want to write for you. You said that out I loud. I said it. And I, oh, no. he looked at me and I walked <laughs> off to get him his coffee. And I walked outside the door and everybody clapped. Oh, and was your so Jerry Maguire yes, moment. Did you bring the goldfish? Yes, I know. <laughs> I was just, I, and I was shaking. And I, but he did, in fairness to him. And he became a brilliant editor. Right. He gave me, I started working for the Herald, say, a year after that on a full-time scale. Yeah. But he was always there. He was always right. there encouraging me. And he was brilliant. And he, he, ma- he said to me, as one of the lecturers on my publishing course said to me, Aileen, you are not a news writer. You're a features writer. You are not a news writer. And he said, you haven't a clue how a news story goes together. But by God, can you write features? And and you tried news stories yes. at that stage with, yes. with the Independent or with the Herald? I had tried news stories with both and it was embarrassing. Oh. It's just because news stories are fact we're, we're, and they're for, formulated. For the, yeah, so yes. like we, we don't know. So what's the, the difference? The difference is... Surely a writer is a writer, no? No. No, and I'm definitely not a news writer is fact. It's learning what to put in the first paragraph to grab the person in. And and it has to be pure fact and it has to be snappy. And there's no room for colour writing and there's no room for your opinion. Right. Features is different. Features are different, apparently. Where there's room for colour writing, there's room to give your opinion, there's room to describe things. And yeah. I loved describing things. I just did. I, I, I loved it. I loved writing about my experiences of what I thought about things. So I was basically a pariah in the newsroom. I didn't okay. have a clue about news writing. And it was too pressurizing. It was too anonymous. And it's mm. never been something I've wanted. Ever. Yeah. So you, you I mean, th- the one thing about news writing as well, it, it it can be quite short form yes. journalism too. It's very much it's so. Short it's and give snappy. me the facts. It's give me the on. facts. Whereas feature writing is long. Yes. You can you, you can, can get into it. it. Yeah. And it's it's a whole process. It's you know, thinking up the feature in your head, it's getting it together. It's literally like giving birth. When you right. when you that's what it's like to me. It's yeah. the oyster with the grit of sand making the pearl and presenting it. And it's it's magic. And did you uh, so in the other ty- type of of writing that uh, I think of uh, when I when I think of newspapers is the interview. Yes. So did you do that as well? Yes, I became good at interviews. Did you? I loved I loved talking. I was so curious. I just yeah. loved asking people questions. Like I've been badgering you with questions yeah. here when it's, we're talking. It's taken us about an hour to get yeah. this interview started because she keeps asking I me. Keep asking <laughs> and it's, you have to have that curiosity about people. Yeah. And you, you have to, I was out with a really good friend of mine yesterday for lunch, Anna Lachlan, and she is a published, she, she, she works for the Irish Examiner and she also writes books. She's yeah. like the, the current day Maeve Binchy. Yes. Yeah. And she was talking to me about being interviewed and she said, you are interviewed by some people and you know they're going through the motions. When uh-huh. you get a good interview, she said, you are watching every word you say because they're going to get something out of your brain you don't want to talk about. Oh, and she said, that's okay. when you know you've been interviewed. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a big well, difference. Well, she's poacher turned gamekeeper yes, on that. Yes. Uh, so she she's only wary. has herself to blame. She's wary, but she's <laughs> thrilled. She said, my God, when, when somebody gets some, me to say something that I didn't plan on saying, she said, I know I've been interviewed. Yeah. So that's really where you, you have to get 
the person you're interviewing, they're probably doing back-to-back interviews all day, yes, several yeah. days, especially... It's a, the junkets, the exactly, press junkets and it's in a hotel exactly. suite so you or need to get that person interested and you yeah. need to get that person thinking about things they were not thinking about. Who so so back in the day when you were interviewing okay. people and, and and you know so you, you were what age at this stage? Oh, Probably I was about in my er, I started my first article went in when I was nineteen twenty say wow yeah which is young and my um, and you so wrote a, you wrote an article about Valentine say Valentine. what did you know about I love know, what did I know <laughs> I wrote about where Valentine's body was buried basically oh, right, it okay. wasn't very romantic so at it all. was a crime yes it was yes <laughs> so. Who you know? So you're you're really young, and next thing you find yourself. What were the typical interviews that you were sent to? Well, I very quickly got pigeonholed. Really, um, I got moved. I I started writing for the Herald. I started doing reviews initially for the Herald. I I started going to gigs, and then that led on to interviewing the bands. Now yeah. this wouldn't have been my natural bailiwick, really. Um, but then I, it was the era. It was the nineties. It was boy bands. So, Boyzone, and then I was on the panel for judging getting Westlife put together. So I was into that entire area completely. You were one of the you were one of the The, the deciding people that Louis Walsh brought in. Yes, I was. Yeah, and I I was covering for the paper, so it made sense for them to have me there. You, you, I mean, four out of five isn't bad. No, so well done, no, Sebastian. Yes. <laughs> I got Nikki in there, so that Did was you? good for Westlife. Ah, yeah. Everybody loves Nikki. Everyone loves Nikki. She's yeah. gorgeous. Still, Everybody's like. devastated he's gone off yes. the radio now. I know. I think Mad. it's an awful loss. Yeah, yeah. I really do. That's. I mean, what age were you when you were? So you were selecting who was going to be in Westlife? In my early 20s. In my early, I think I was 24, 25 tops at that stage. Yeah. Like, that that's just uh, unreal. I mean, it I, is. I, 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 you know, I, I remember back then, and I remember yeah. you were involved in all these things, but it just seemed like your normal life yeah. then. That's like, that was wh- what and you it did, was. isn't it? And I was interviewing boys. I did a book on Boys Zone at the time. Called wow. we did it myself and Kieran O'Brien, a photographer, did it for uh, Crumlin Children's Hospital. Yeah. So yeah, the boy, the the band were terrific. You know, yeah. they really were fantastic. We went on the road with them though for a long weekend in Wembley. And there I can tell you, they earned their money. Wow. Anybody who thinks it's easy being in a boy band or a girl band, it's just not. Yeah. You, you are literally the gerbil on the wheel. And yeah. management run everything. Yeah, yeah, you know? you're, you're the circus and uh, oh, the tent goes up. You get in. And I remember Louis saying to me, you get in early, you make your money and you get out. Yeah. And if you've got talent, then you start a solo career. Right. But boy bands are for making money for management. Yeah, I, I mean, like you'll have a whole new raft of interviews because, yes. of course, they've all gotten back together now. So yes. you can. Well, I'm can trying to avoid it this time. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I feel yeah. way too old at this. Well, stage. they're called man bands now, aren't they? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah so they are. Right. Well, they are. I mean, and and take that in fairness, are the ones who who really started all that, getting yeah, back yeah. together, and did it well because yeah. they came back grown up. Yeah, yeah. They weren't they trying to recapture yeah, the youth. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't a reunion. It was N- a new version. It was a new version, yeah. And and so back going back to that, so th- these were people that you obviously got on well with and, yes. and that was great. But when you were interviewing or meeting, you know, you're mixing in, in very elevated circles, really, yeah. you know, when you but think you, about it. That's, that's the trick, though. You have to remember you are there to work. Yeah. You are okay. there to get something that the other papers don't have. Okay. Uh, it's not you it's very easy at that age to believe all the hype. It's very easy to go out clubbing every night and get into the VIP lounges yeah, and yeah. that's what it's about. And it's not because that won't give you longevity. Yeah. It just won't. And I think I, I learned an awful lot of lessons very, very young. You you have to you are only as good as your last article. 
Mm. And if you aren't delivering the goods, you will be out of there so quickly. You will be Cinderella leaving the party. Mm. Who's your who's your toughest interview or toughest kind of what was the toughest gig article? One, what was the one of my article? toughest and it was very interesting was with Damon Albarn from Blur. Oh yeah. And I interviewed him at Fela and we had a fight. Because oh, really? yes. Because Damon was talking about the great escape and his belief was that everybody's escaping from some something. Everybody mm. wants to run away from something. Now I had a stand up route and because I loved my life at that stage. And I said, yeah. I'm not running from anything. I love this. This is great. And he said, you are running from something. <laughs> and he was right because yeah. I was literally running away from my health issues at that stage, yeah. ignoring it, uh, having a great time 24 seven. So in the end, I, I did have to kind of admit he was right. Damon, he got into a fight with Damon, with Damon Albarn. Albarn. Like yes. was it a pr- proper tetchy fight? It was a proper stand up. I'm going to walk off. Yeah. Yes. But it did make great copy. Which is good. So you got to keep thinking about that. Swings really, at the end of the day, get it down on paper, and you're laughing. And and that actually brings us on to the health issues because yes. at the height of, I mean, you, as I say, you were the up and comer. You were, you yeah. know, so you're interviewing, you know, uh, the top singers. You're, I was you're being flown feature. to London to stay in suites to interview people. It was yeah. mad the money they were throwing at us. You you were you were at the top of your game, and you were young. Yes, you know, you were you were probably only about. 26 and no training and no training no as training well. so and no shorthand so either. raw talent with experience well, be behind you yes. you know raw talent with experience well you know you wouldn't have got there if you didn't yeah. have the raw talent yeah and and experience behind you coming coming thick and fast behind you yes. and next thing next thing the hell i mean i'm i'm a type 1 diabetic yeah. i was in my 20s at this stage and i got it when i was 10 and i basically ignored it and you you are, as Damon said, you're running from something. I was running from, I didn't mind myself. And yeah. the trouble is diabetes doesn't go anywhere. Type 1 does not go away. Yeah. Uh, so my vision started to fail in my left eye, which I, wow. I now have 10% vision in that eye. Yeah. My circulation started to diminish. I started having terrible trouble with my feet. I started ending up in hospital every two months with DKAs, which is diabetic ketoacidosis, where you're extremely sick. Yeah. Um, and I also had eating disorders. So I didn't want to take my insulin because I right. didn't want to eat. So okay. my body was was wasting it. My body in my 20s is a lot was a lot older than it is now that I mind myself. Right. So I'm really okay. only proper healthy now yeah. and feel a lot younger than I did in my 20s. I, I felt sick so much of the time in my 20s. So you were de- you were dealing with uh, mental health demons yes. behind and and physically Yes. The type 1 diabetes was knocking you down anyway. Oh, completely. Because Ah. it doesn't go away and it's throwing a huge shadow unless you turn around and face it. And what, so you were obviously trying to hide all this. Oh, completely. As any, uh, you know, 20 something. I hide it from myself even. Yeah. Didn't want to face it at all. You were ignoring it. But, but I mean, other people must have started to notice it back then. Of course they did, yeah. And what was the the reaction? I remember at one stage I was living in Christchurch and I hadn't seen one of the journalists who I worked with in, she'd been away, I think, and I had been starving myself. And right. because I didn't have to take insulin when I didn't eat, that was the idea. Okay. I was basically living in Christchurch, walking to the point to review a gig at night after not eating all day, coming back to the end to write up the review and then going home and having a bowl of cornflakes. And, and that, that was, was it. it all day. And so she didn't see me for a few weeks. And when she did see me, I'd gone from being kind of chubby to a size 10. Right. And she was shocked. Yeah. And you can only keep that up for so long before you literally collapse. And I did. I, I did collapse. I was sent 
on a job down to Mount Juliet and I got extremely sick and ended up in intensive care. Oh, wow. Um, and basically, my parents were called down as they didn't know if I'd make it through the night. Oh, my gosh. But I got better and I went and proceeded to do it all over again. Oh because right, you don't okay. learn. You, you, you think you're invincible at that age. Regardless of ending up in intensive care, you think you're invincible. Mm. So I, I kept that up from my 20s well into my 30s. And then, as really? I say, the vision went. The kidneys were going. I lost, in my late 30s, I lost two toes on my right foot. They had to amputate because the circulation was so bad. Oh my God, that yeah. must have been... And that was the kick up the backside that I needed. So this was, I mean, after that, the Mount Juliet hospitalization, this yes. was five this years later? Oh no, it? this was, the Mount Juliet was in, well, I was around 25 right. and I didn't cop on until I was 39. Oh my God. Yeah, so the health was diminishing all the time. The number of specialists I was having to go and see because I wasn't minding myself yeah. was just increasing. Because you can be extremely healthy with type 1 diabetes. There's athletes who have it. Yeah. It's, I just didn't want to face it. Yeah. I didn't want to, the regime, I didn't want to be compliant, which is what they call it. Right. So I okay. just ignored it. This was your rebellion kind of. Yes. Um, well, like you said to me, Stephen, you didn't realize when we were doing the cycle. No. That I was diabetic. Why would you? I was no. out drinking every night. Yeah. I was eating what I want. I was smoking. Yeah. You know, everything wrong. No, and, and it's interesting because I, I just recently worked uh, with another diabetic who very open, you know, thankfully yeah. and would be uh, taking bloods every, you know, yes. couple of hours, really measured well. And we were going to the gym together. You know yeah. what I mean? It was, yeah. it was that's like the way it should really be. healthy guy. Yeah. Do you know, uh, you know, but it was so open and so normal. Whereas yeah. you obviously kind of felt that this was something that you wanted to shut away. Just, yeah, I just didn't want to face it. It was like, it's not fun. And I'm sorry, but yeah. that's how I face it. It's not fun. I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm sick of seeing doctors. Wow. I just turned my back on it. But the more you turned your back, the more doctors you yeah, have to see. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the bigger uh, shadow it cast over me. And, and at what stage? Th so your health deteriorated yes. to a point where work. Work just became, you, you couldn't be relied upon. Yeah. To, to basically do jobs because you were Wait, yeah, in Which happened hospital. first, you you saying no to work or work saying no to you? Um, me saying no to work, luckily. Luckily, right, me okay. saying no to work. But it, it you know, it became um, more and more difficult. Like you couldn't plan for anything. Wow. And you'd imagine at that stage, you'd be like, well, look, you know what you need to do. But I didn't until mm. I ended up in hospital and they were taking toes off me. And I remember my specialist walked in after I had had the second toe taken off and an infection set in, which was horrific. It was hideous. And my specialist came in to me and he said, look, unless you start minding this, we're taking the foot the next time. Wow. And it was at the stage where, you know, my health was that bad that they said, and he said, it won't stop at the foot. It'll go yeah. up the leg. And do yeah. you want that? And he was very clever. He left me by myself in my hospital room for over an entire weekend. And I cried solidly for the entire weekend. And he came in oh. on Monday and he said, look, I think we can meet each other halfway. There's a new treatment that is out and I'd like you to try it. And he said, I'm not making any promises, but you have yeah. to work with me. And my biggest fear, and it's shameful to admit it, but it's it's in my psyche. I didn't want to put on weight. That was why I wasn't mm. minding myself. And oddly enough, once I started minding myself, the weight fell off. Yeah. 
So I was down. When I started minding myself, my weight went down two and a half stone inside of six months. Yeah. It, uh, the, you looking after your body yeah. helped, helped it look after you. Yes. But I mean, it, it just shows the tremendous power of a mental health issue. Yes. Yeah, and it, what, it, how it can control it's you. an absolute worm in the brain it's yeah. a complete worm in the brain and I would have been conscious of my and this is an awful thing to admit but I would have been weight conscious from the age of six yeah I was my in my family I when my little sister was born she was little I was big I was called a big sister and I took it the wrong way basically yeah. coming home from the hospital my mum had her on her lap and I wanted to sit on her lap. And she said, no, you're the big sister now. Yeah. And it's, but I think it was in me. Words matter and people yes. listen and, and kids listen. Hear and different and, things. Uh, yeah, I, t- I talk about that sometimes uh, with my own wife about actually, you know, they are listening all the time yes. and they're taking it and in. So be careful what you say. absorbing everything. Now, not yeah. mollycoddle, don't mollycoddle, no. but just, you know, be kind of mindful what you're reinforcing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and and so you'd finished, work. so what age were you when you were stopped? Uh, when it all work? fell apart, I would have been uh, 31, 32 tops. And so you couldn't work anymore. Couldn't work. And how did, so to bring it back to the bosses, yeah. how, how did the bosses react in this case? So well, were you working for one? one oh, initially before, what happened was initially I was working for the Herald and I started to have to go to hospital more and more often. And my boss at the time, Paul Drury, who's, who's passed away, he was terrific. He paid my rent. Well. He took over, stepped in. But as things started to basically increase, somebody has to fill in for you when you're not there. I had yeah. a daily music column. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, the slot is filled. Yeah. The slot is filled. And and you you can become so distant from your work so quickly because life goes on. Mm. It just goes on. And I, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't aware of it at the time because I was just, I, I went into myself completely. Mm. I ended up then having to take antidepressants. And when you're on antidepressants, it, you know, it, it numbs you. Mm. So, my creative spark was gone. Right. I wasn't yeah. thinking about work. I was just thinking, I want to be minded. I don't want to be upset. I, I, and I didn't feel anything. Mm. Y- you know, I remember one day crossing the road and I missed a bus by an inch, literally. And yeah. my heartbeat didn't even go up. Yeah, I felt nothing. Yeah, just numb. Disassociated from... And when you're numb, you, you there's, there's nothing creative there when you're numb. You yeah. you can't because although you're not suicidal and depre- and clinically like depressed, you're not happy. Mm. You're not actually feeling anything, so you're not doing anything. And it used to drive my yeah. sister nuts. They yeah they talk about the spiral of emotions yes. and that actually joy is at the top and, yes. and depression is at the bottom. And you should be moving all the way up and down. Yes. But what the uh, antidepressants do is they just keep you. They just keep you numb. It's it's Neutral basically in the middle. Um, there's neither up nor yeah, down. It's, it's just it's nothing. It's completely you. You aren't feeling anything. And I remember yeah. my sister and her fiance, Gavin, is her fiance, and he's like a younger brother to me. And I remember them saying to me once, Aileen, do you realise there's people in wheelchairs doing more than you're doing? You're not yeah. doing anything with your life. Yeah. And it didn't register, and I was just like, leave me alone. Stop. Stop asking me to do things. I can't. I'm sick. Yeah, and I hid behind it for years. And so, so the bosses at that stage did look after you to they a point. They looked to a point, but then reality had reality, to kick yeah. in, and the the pages had to be filled. That's so it. the 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 market forces of journalism kicked in, which was yes. actually we need words on a page. Yeah, we need, and, and you you're know, not providing. Yeah, exactly. 
and there's always other people in journalism mm. there's always somebody snapping at your heel as in most businesses but it sounds but like um paul drury was it yeah actually did look after you he for, did. for a period he of did time. and you i was yeah i was doing the music column for him and he did look after me but i think i'm sure they were wondering at, at this stage you know what's going to happen here yeah so they couldn't go on supporting me indefinitely i wasn't on i would was doing a, a daily column but I wasn't on staff so they didn't actually owe me anything yeah I gotcha um, and there were a few editors in there I didn't get on with and as I started to go into myself one editor in particular you know I clashed with him an awful lot mm. I clashed with him a huge amount and I probably became very difficult to deal with as well because, you know, I was constantly fighting these battles. I didn't want them to know the kind of battles I was fighting internally yeah. with myself. But we, yeah, we, we never really got on. And I always felt he was asking a lot of me. Right. Now, you know, I, I, I think it was a case of two personalities that did not work. Yeah. You know, so I found that very, very difficult. And that was at a time when you were, you were, you were in the, 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 in the midst of your own inner yes your the own the inner struggle were. and then you had this in work yeah. and so you had one editor who really looked after you yes. to the point of you know above and beyond yes but then this other editor yeah not so yeah. much not so much and, and what what kind of behavior so we're onto the bad yeah. boss element of things okay. I, th okay. I think yeah. we're safely say yeah uh, what you know what what was it they were doing that was making your life difficult at i that always felt with him that he, he would he, you know he'd asked me to do a feature i oh and I always felt he was giving me the poison chalice when it came to a lot of features because it, uh, they were difficult. Right. It'd be awkward to get and you'd be finding it difficult to get. And he, he didn't want... What's a want difficult feature for... Uh, difficult features are where you're finding it very difficult to get somebody to talk to that you need to speak to in okay. order to do the feature properly. To, to get, to get content the, out. To get, the, yeah, to get the content, to get the information. Okay. And he didn't seem to want... I, I found it hard to work with him. We, it was a clash of personalities. Yeah, you know it was a clash, and I was uh, I I remember thinking he seems to get on. Other people seem to get on well with him. Why don't I? Is it me? And I had no. Don't forget, I had no formal training in journalism, so the yeah. the nuts and bolts training wasn't there for me. And I was a very emotive writer, so I was writing from the gut all the time. And okay. if I had a problem, I would probably talk about it. As in a problem with writing a feature, I'd be moaning and belly aching, and yeah. I don't want to write about this. I want to write about something else. Yeah. And I, f I found it difficult. He didn't pander to me. Yeah. So he was expecting maybe a bit more yes. um, academic he, he was professionalism quite, he kind was of. He was yes. And he was I like, think why you're right. are you moaning? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just found we didn't get on. Yeah. I don't think even outside of work we would have gone on. Is, the, is there something there between the, uh, and, and this is just this story and I'm thinking on my feet yeah. here, but is it like the artist versus the professional yes. journalist? You yes. were the artist journalist and he was the professional journalist he, was, he needed the pages filled he knew what he wanted and i didn't take direction very easily in fairness oh, okay. to him i didn't i knew what i wanted to write about and i hated being handed features and i still have a hate of it i still have an absolute abhorrence of writing about something i'm not interested in which yeah, is why i okay. love freelancing because you pitch articles you are interested in writing but when you are in a team in a in a newspaper chances are you're going to get features thrown to you that they want done yeah. and you don't want to write them because yeah. they're not your interest area yeah so uh, i seem to end up in that area with him a lot 
What's interesting now, though, when you look at citizen journalism and and the internet, the way it's gone is, well, actually, that's what people do, don't yeah. they? They actually write about what they're passionate about exactly. and then become known for that, Exa- actually, a lot more. And that's the natural progression. Because yeah. if you have a passion for something, you'll write well. Yeah. You will. And you, you will have a... Na- it's not work when you're writing about something you're passionate about. It yeah. just isn't. It's it's not an effort. You will you will go the extra 10 miles and not even think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And w- um, so... so you kind of left that job because yes. of the health issues. So that's I how you exited that bad boss yes. relationship. Yes. And did it ever get resolved? Did you ever meet up again? Or? Never saw him again. He no, kind of moved on as well himself. Yeah. So we never encountered each other again. And I, as I say, that was 15 years ago. So I'm only back writing in the past year and a half. So yeah, a lot has changed. And that does bring us up to the perfect. So y- you were out there, in your own words, in the wilderness yes. <laughs> for a while yes. and getting better. Yes. And getting you did. You I got, did. You got, you I got did. better. And yes. then you started to take, what were, the, what were the first tentative steps back into journalism? What happened was um, I a friend of mine called over to see me. And she I had worked with her in the end. She worked in the pictures library. And she was great. And she said, you, I said, you know, I, I, I'm bored. I, I miss life. I miss being around people. And she'd said to me, well, you know, her ex-husband was running a travel magazine, a yeah. travel trade magazine. And she said, well, I ask Owen, it, you know, can you do some bits for him? Go to a few launches and, and do some stuff. And initially I was like, well, I don't know. Well, maybe. Um, and then I didn't, didn't think any more about it. And she got back to me inside of a week and she said yeah Owen is going to be in touch with you I've told him you want to work and he's going to far work at you and I was shocked and excited and all of a sudden yeah you know and Owen was amazing Owen was just brilliant and he, he's a fantastic boss he's Owen Corey who is the editor of Travel Extra and my first job which was supposed to be initially I was expecting a little gig in Dublin and he sent me to a Morocco trade fair. yeah he Travel sent me to Morocco for five <laughs> days and I was to photograph everything that moved and write about it. And it was in the deep end. But he was brilliant. He gave me basically two months notice of it. Okay, yeah. Which was fantastic. And I went and it was straight back in there. And I just what came was, back. What was going through your, you know, so I mean, this is Absolute 15 years later. fear. Had you written anything in between? Nothing. I'd written poetry. Okay. And I stared at my navel a lot, basically. <laughs> Yeah. Um, th- I had no. I'm sorry. I had written a book. I'd written a novel. Okay. Um, a complete fantasy uh, yeah. novel based on a guy I went out with once, but <laughs> uh, I wrote that in six weeks. Wow. Yeah. And I had a publisher version. Then I just lost interest in it. Right. Okay. So it's, yeah. So there's a book out there. There's a book. Out, yeah. It's yeah. A book. I need to work on it and reconnect with it, as they say. Oh, but really? yeah, I wrote that in six weeks. And I thought that's oh. the artistic journalist for yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It was reconnect like full on for six weeks. Other people were like, "Did you say publish?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that'd be it. They'd be done. Oh, I, I once I started doing the rewrites, I just disconnected with it. I right. just disconnected, and I shouldn't because you'd it. written it out. Yeah, I'd I mean, written it out completely. It was a, yeah. yeah, big long book. Yeah, six weeks work, and it was came out of nowhere. Mad. Yeah. God. God. I feel so, like I know people <laughs> who spend years writing a book. Yeah. And you did one in six weeks six and weeks. had a publisher who was like, I had yeah, a, I could. Yeah, I, a good friend of mine, June Constantine, is a writer as well. And yeah. she said, I really like this. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I started doing this and I started doing that. And then I said, oh, bugger this. So just wow. left it. Do you know what's interesting about that and where we are? As I said, th- we're just... Th- th- just attended the European Mentoring and Coaching Council. And what's yes. really interesting is, is twice now you've mentioned 
uh, a couple of people who yes. I would say mentored you. They did. At a moment when you needed it. Absolutely. So as you came back to health and next thing, yeah. you know, so you've written a book, actually, I know what to do with that. That's mentoring. Yeah, that is hugely. And then when Owen so. said, oh, actually, actually, I've got something mm. for you, that's, that's mentoring And Owen again. is brilliant. He, I, I remember Owen explaining to me how things had changed. And he mm. handed me a camera and he said, so you'll be taking pictures and you'll be captioning them and embedding them. And I looked at him like I was catching flies. Yeah. I said, well, how, I said, are you not sending a photographer with me to Morocco? And he said, Aileen, it's 2017, for God's sake. Yeah. You're doing everything. 15 years ago, you would have had a separate oh, yeah. photographer. But yeah. now it's uh, it's uh, one, it one woman band. Yes. And he said, and will you take some video footage over there? When you're interviewing people, do video footage as well. And it was a shock. Yeah. And then, but what was great was I came back and I had done it. Yes. And yeah. that you can't match that. Yeah. You just got, and when I wrote up the article for him and I think when I sent it over to him, I badgered him for a week because I hadn't heard anything back. And he finally sent me a mail. He said, that's great. Just stop emailing me. It's fine. <laughs> it's great. It's going in word for word. So, yeah, yeah. and that to me was like giving birth and it was magic. Yeah. And, and, and so how long ago was that? A year that and a half That was 2017. Ago? I did my first More, trip. Yeah. And last summer I was in Paris. I was in Jordan. I was in I, all over the place. And yeah, I'm going to Thailand in Bordeaux. June. Bordeaux. Leeds. Just back. Yeah, Leeds. <laughs> very nice city. But you, you go to, and that's the gas thing because you do not know where you're going to be handed. Yeah. You just don't. Like the Leeds trip turned out to be amazing because I got to interview the two lead dancers from northern ballet after they'd been on stage and we got to see leeds an amazing city i thought leeds was first ag weekends basically yeah that's it's full of art and that's it you go and you seek things out and and you know so obviously for travel extra they send you on assignment they send me on assignment but then the the other part of your world then you know and and what amazes me about this story is you were 15 years in the wilderness as you say yourself but you've come back at the top level. You've come back straight in just writing for national newspapers. Well, that I have to say, Maeve, quickly from the Daily Mail, I basically what happened was I, I decided I wanted... Uh, it's true what we were talking about earlier. I did decide. I thought, okay, I'm doing the travel writing and Mark Evans, who works with the Herald, was also working with Travel Extra. And so Mark was starting to get my travel articles into the Herald. So I thought, right. oh, wow. way yeah. back into newspapers here being presented. Yeah. And I started... I thought, I want to get back into newspapers. How do I do this? So through friends, I was introduced to Maeve quickly with the Daily Mail. And I met up with Maeve and I said, So this isn't somebody else you knew. This, this is, is a brand new connection. Brand new, yeah. Brand yeah. She met me for a coffee one morning and I said, Maeve, there's 15 years of tumbleweed behind me and I want to get back to work. What do I do? How do I deal with this? I yeah. can't send somebody a CV, I said, because it's a blank page at this stage. Yeah. And she said, what you do is you write an article detailing what's happened to you over the past 15 years and how you've come out of it. Yeah. And she said, that's what you use to pitch all the newspapers. So I went home that day. It was last summer in July. And I went home and I spent three hours writing an article. And I pitched it to everyone from the Farmer's Journal to Vogue. <laughs> Basically, just everyone got it. And the um, Esther in the Irish Examiner came back to me. And she said, I love it. I love it. Are you free for photographs? We're running this. It's amazing. Yeah. And I've been writing for them ever since. That's amazing. That's fantastic. But it's and the help you get. It's the like you say, the mentors, that's the people. another mentor, yeah. yeah. Like I mean that it, it, and yesterday there was a talk on a mentorship for women, you know, yeah. that that actually um 
mentorship for men and women the conversations are different yeah uh you know and, the, and they've they've identified through studies in canada uh, a brilliant researcher uh roxanne reeves uh spoke to us about the fact that when somebody mentors a man they talk very strategically when somebody mentors a woman they talk very tactically yes and there's a big difference in, in how you know it's kind of like what to do for women where it's kind of like how to think for men yes and it's, you know it's a different it's conversation it's the nuts and bolts for men really isn't it yeah so it, it's a kind of a funny a, a funny thing that you know you wouldn't so two years on from your 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 return from the desert yeah <laughs> yeah it's been mentorship all the way it that has gotten you here and thank god for them i've been friendships and mentorship yes yeah. i've been unbelievably lucky because you don't do this in a vacuum no. Like you said, it appears to you like I just decided one day. It does. That's it, it. really yeah. does. <laughs> and, but for these people, yeah. I would still be sitting at home staring at my navel. Yeah. It, it's amazing. When you get the, the help at the right time, it is literally, it's climbing Everest and it's somebody throwing you a grappling hook and a rope yeah. saying, this is where you need to be. And yeah. But you have to, you have to have the confidence in yourself or you can have every mentor out there. But unless you believe I'm, you have to be bloody minded. You you yeah. have to you can't doubt yourself. And you yeah. can't be looking to a mentor to constantly bolster your ego. You mm. have to have enough ego to to sling the hook up and say I want to be up on the next level. And uh, like I think coming from somebody who has been to the to the lowest depths yes. of your your own inner struggle. Yeah. You know to how Th there's people who haven't reached those depths at all yes and they would still find it hard to say but what do you mean how do i drive myself how do i be bloody minded how do yeah. i bolster my own ego do you think that you have a clear vision of that because of where yes, you were be because I, re I remember once when i was really really bad and i was at the lowest point i had a dream and it's quite a frightened dream because it was so real i fell off and it, it was very true to life because in the dream i fell off the hollywood sign Right. And I fell to the ground underneath the sign and nobody ever sees what's under that sign. And I remember it still it's there was a lake and it was very, very quiet. And there was all these tall grasses along the lake and the breeze blowing. And it was I remember sitting there looking at it, thinking this is the lowest point. Mm. This is it here. And nobody is looking here. Nobody sees this. And I looked around at the sign and I thought I want to be back up there again. Yeah. And that was the decision. And there, there is no room. You, if, if you want to, in order to get where you want to be, you have to have ego. Ego yeah. is the horse that will get you there. Yeah. That you can't get to where you want to be doubting yourself all the time. Mm. It doesn't work. It, nobody can deal with someone who's doubting themselves the whole time because you have to put that energy into going ahead, not standing yeah. still. I, w I would say anyway that the, even the, the, the normal or even the lowest level of doubt is still, you know, even the lowest level still has doubt. You yes. know, you, yep. you always have doubt, oh, you al yeah. but what you can't do is let it overtake you your can't, thoughts you and can't. you can't You're let it, can't let it control. Because doubt is basically standing on shifting sand. Yeah. You know, you stand on the side of a sand dune and you can't get your grip. Yeah. That's all doubt is. And it, you're never going to real. you're only pushing yourself further away from your dream mm. if you keep doubting. And what's the worst that can happen? You'll fail. Try again. Yeah, I, I pitch articles all the time now. I'm lucky 70% of the articles I pitch will be accepted. I still get upset over the 30% that aren't. Yeah, You know, that you are going to get knockbacks. I mean, I remember being told that Jeffrey Archer with Cain and Abel, his best, his worldwide bestseller, yeah. it was turned down 50 times. 50. 50. 
How yeah. do you keep believing in something that's turned down that many times? And you only need one yes. I that's mean, you, it. you know, you just need the one, one yes. yes. You know, and is it worth 50 submissions to get one yes? yes. Of course it because is. Because I submitted that article, I'd say, to 50 different places. And I really? got the one yes. And this was your story, you know. So My it's a, yeah. uh, you know, when you think about it, that's, uh, it, it's a, it's a very now story. Yes. You know, now funny enough, 15 years ago when you were going through it, it actually probably wouldn't have even got the reception. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I it's don't the think right people time were as, people now. were as uh, as open to talk about it or, yeah. or to read about it. Nobody was the talking right time about now. mental health problems back then. Yeah. They just weren't. Yeah, no, and it, and it's great that people are, but it's it's just, you know, without being too cynical about the print journalism yeah. end, end of it is actually it might not got printed fifteen years yeah. ago. Whereas you even had to struggle to get it printed now when well, I definitely people needed would to put in the fifteen years as well in order for it to be a story. Because yeah. to go through 15 years is a long time to be sick. You know, It's a, to come back after 15 years, it's, it's not just being lost in the desert. It's kind of buried in the desert. Everything goes on so you much. You put a lot into that story then. Yes. <laughs> you, everything came out. You, and you, that's the other thing. You can't decide, okay, I'll, I'll tell them a little bit. You have to literally slit the vein and let it all out. Yeah. And it's parts of it are ugly. Parts of it are embarrassing. Yeah. A lot of it is embarrassing. Uh, but... You have to basically, at the end of it, grow the wings and fly out mm. and let people see that no, no matter how bad things are, you can come through it. Mm. And people love that. Yeah. I, what I'll do is I will post a link to that article yes, uh, on, on the web page, actually, yeah. if anybody wants to, to read that. Uh, um, so I'll post that w when I post up the podcast, if that's yes, OK with super. you. And so... Now, now you're in a different world. So, yeah. so apart from apart from the health issues and and the and the the climb back up that yes. Hollywood sign, yes. and uh, you know you're nearly there at the top now. Getting you're, there. I know you have a couple of other goals. Yes. But what's the difference between bosses back in journalism, you know, in the '90s, late '90s, early 2000s, versus now? Because so much has changed. So the entire landscape has changed. Oh my God, you. Back then, it, okay, it was a, the 90s was a very, very busy time. It was yeah. hugely busy. But you weren't being asked to do back... Uh, okay, so social media has come in in the interim. And everybody has to be basically a TV presenter. You have to be able to present. You have to be able to photograph. You have to be able to write. Yeah. And I'm not talking about selfies of me with the Taj Mahal. You have to be able to write articles. You have to be able to draw people in when all they want to do is look at photographs of people yes. pouting in G-strings at these fabulous places. Mm. You have to be able to video. You have to be the jack of all trades, but doing each one well. Yeah. And your your boss wants you to be, to be able to come to you and you have to be able to deliver. Yeah. Not just the printed word. I mean, back when I was writing, you were ringing in your copy. You were mm. ringing in on a payphone from an airport <laughs> after being to a gig by Oasis in Loch Lomond. You were ringing your copy in. Now you have to have videos. Now you have to have photographs. Now you have to have a different take. And your print journalism is being so challenged at the moment because of social media. Yeah. So you still have to get people to read what you're writing. Attention spans, you know, um, I mean, they've minuscule. shown that it's two, not... What is not, it, two not to five minutes tops? Yeah, yeah, people don't have the same attention span. No, they don't. But it's because of the information overload. Yes. I mean, I have three news apps on my phone uh, down from five yeah. you know do I need the <laughs> yeah. do I even need the three you know and 
there's different reasons people get different apps but uh, you know yeah. sometimes they feel like just flicking sometimes yes. they feel like reading long form sometimes and so they have multiple options yes. and things to go to so how does it how does how does it work for a journalist and a, and the boss situation like when you're is it transactional now okay well well basically um i'm i'm freelance so i have yeah. several different bosses so the one thing i would say if you're I in this business is freelancing is fantastic because it allows you to write about what you want to write about you're pitching ideas so mm. every, it's it's a new transaction you have a boss but you're not on staff yeah so you come up with an idea and you have to pitch that there's loads of other people pitching to your your boss isn't just your boss yeah loads of other people are pitching ideas you need to be relevant you need to be reading the newspapers and thinking okay can i get a take on that can i get yeah. somebody to talk to me about that i'll give you an example I was reading through the papers and I was shocked because I was looking at the, the shooter drills that children are having to do in the States in kindergarten. Yeah. And I thought, OK, so I'm shocked at this, but how do I turn this into an article that I can mm. write? Because I don't live in the States. Yeah. So I got a friend of mine who moved from Northern Ireland over to Arizona. Okay. And then I got another friend I went to school with from down here in Dublin who went over to Chicago. And I got the Northern Ireland perspective that girl Yvonne moved over there and has a daughter. Mm. Uh, so Yvonne was coming from the Troubles when she moved over yeah. in the 80s. Then my friend down here moved over and she has they have two teenage children over there. So they're both talking to me from different perspectives, but it's relevant to Ireland. Yeah. So yeah. I pitched it and it was snapped up straight away. And and do you find then that that those bosses the edit it is an editor it that is you an go editor, to yeah, yeah. God, you know as I say my superhero <laughs> movies and comics yes. th is my that's my reference yeah. point uh, it Joan, hasn't changed Jonah much. Jameson and uh, Perry White yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. my two references still relevant but do you know you're pitching to them and you're freelance so you're pitching to a few of them you're yeah. pitching to a few yeah but do you like, do some of them get upset if you don't pitch them first? Well, what you did, the secret is you pitch differently to each editor. Okay. You can't just replicate your pitch. Uh, it okay. has to be tailored to the publication. You need, you have to get a sense of what that editor is looking for. And you do, you build a relationship and you know that the examiner, they're fantastic. They'll come back to you and they'll say, right, we want A, B, C, D. This is the fee. This is when we want it. Yeah. And you deliver exactly what they nice want. Nice clarity of contract. Clar very. They're, they're yeah. brilliant. You know, and yeah. that makes it all. You're, you you need to learn. It's a dance with each editor. You need to right. learn what way the dance is. Yeah. yeah and yeah. you need to go with that. You you develop a sense. Yeah. Th I mean, there's not a huge amount of newspapers in Ireland anyway. Yeah. And therefore, there's not a huge amount of editors. Is there a big churn in editors? Or there, is there, you there know, is th do they change a lot? Or? You you need to be the, the, the best in the class. Right, you okay. need to have them. The, the, the great thing, okay, initially when you start freelancing, you're pitching, you're pitching, you're pitching, and they'll start accepting. They might, you mightn't hear back from them, so that means they're not accepting. Or you might hear back yeah. from them a week later. Yeah. But you, you learn to know. You, you learn to know which article is going to be accepted by which publication. Yeah. And the day they come to you and offer you something is the day you know you've made an impact. Okay. They'll say, here, w can you do this article for us? We've had an idea and they yeah, come to you yeah, okay. and then, you know, there's a two way relationship there. And that's what you strive for. Brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, when, when in that relationship where you're pitching and you're, and you're tailoring it and you're doing the different yeah. dance for 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 each different editor. Do you ever find that 
so all editors are journalists at some yes, stage. Yes. But not jo- all journalists can be editors. No. I could never be an editor. I would so have no interest. What's the di- how you know because they the have the, they're the bosses of newspapers. They are. I mean they're the they're they the power holders. They might dis- not be the owners. They're deciding they're what goes holders. in. I I basically have the instinctive urge to write. Mm. I, it's it's a birthing process. I couldn't do without it. I don't want to be organized. An editor has to give up writing. Yeah, yes, unless they they can do both. You know, mm. maybe. But it's 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 basically it's ninety percent organizing features. Now, editors have a different eye. They they have that. Oh, they're able to see the overview. They're able to say, look, I want a feature on this, this, and this. They will have ideas, obviously themselves, mm. and they will get the people to write them. But they're also they have to be receptacles that people are ringing them with ideas all the time so they are dealing with traffic and they're dealing with how they want their pages to look Mm. they're dealing with it has to be relevant they're dealing with numbers they're dealing with advertisers they're dealing with everything yeah it's management but it's creative management yeah yeah um whereas i love i love writing i i'm not an editor I, oh, I would have an idea, but I don't want to be an editor. I want to write. I want my my dream, as I said to you earlier, it's Vogue, it's Marie Claire, uh-huh. and it's Vanity Fair, and I'm writing for all three. Yeah. That's and that's happy so days. If anybody in uh, either of those, yes, uh, either I, of those three, of uh, please do get in contact. Yes. Aileen uh, would love to write for you. Chomping at the bit. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but but I mean it's really I mean you know other people if if that was a sixteen year old who'd never written kind of saying this is what I want to do you'd kind of go well that's crazy but it's it's somebody who's getting published all the time yeah. now I mean that's that's where you are so it you you are still being driven up that Hollywood absolutely sign absolutely driven Ca- restless restless and, and what how does it feel different now the twenty something alien versus the forty something alien who's now in a different space different experience and and you know with a different challenge do you feel better about the journalism world or what I, what, I, i'm very positive about it yeah. i know all you hear these days is that print journalism is is on its way out and i never felt that i never mm. believe i i still i hear it now and i don't believe it i'm lucky i'm working in all mediums now i'm working you know i've i've done stuff for tv i've i've done i do regular videos when i'm away I, I photograph, I write, I do it all. But back then, when I was in my 20s, I didn't have the absolute drive that I have now. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm driven. I, I will get what I want. I, I'm not saying at any expense, but I will chase it down. Yeah. I will go after it and tenacious. I will believe it. Tenacious, yes. Yeah. And you do have to have a bit of the bitch in you. You do. <laughs> I, I I say this, and I think men need a bit of the bitch in them as well. Yeah. I you you have to have that self belief. Yeah. You have to see yourself where you want to be, and it's just a matter of, like with Google Maps, the quickest route there. Yeah. Yeah. And you you have to believe. You can't be saying, "Oh, I hope this happens." You have to say, "It's it's happening." Yeah. There's no d- there can't there's no room for doubt. I think that's a brilliant place to leave it. <laughs> Thank you. Aileen, it has been amazing catching up with you again and uh, for you to tell your story so openly has been absolutely fantastic. Oh, I mean, it's been, I, I know people are, are, are going to love listening to this and it has been a true pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. And it's great to see you uh, nearly there at the top nearly of the Hollywood there, sign. Nearly <laughs> there, getting there. Bit by, before I'm 50, I will be in vogue. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Thanks, Aileen. You're very welcome. So that was episode seven. A little less about the bosses than usual, but as Aileen said, she really cut the vein and opened up about her physical and mental struggle. I think the lesson on this episode is mentors are key. 
Recognize the great mentors you have in your life. They can make a huge difference in your career. Aileen and I carried on talking for several hours, and I have no doubt that Vogue will be knocking on her door before the year is out. Keep an eye out for her brilliant articles. One of her latest is for the Irish Examiner on kids and social media, and it's a must for any parent. Thank you to Aileen for another wonderful episode. I hope you're all enjoying our growing auditory relationship. Last month, we leapt from 500 listeners to nearly 900. Unbelievable. Thank you so much for listening, and please, please keep sharing this content with all your friends and colleagues. As usual, if you have a guest you'd like to hear from or you have some comment on this show, please drop me a mail at stephen at stephennaughton.com and you can find more from me at www.stephennaughton.com. I'll be back next month with another Good Boss, Bad Boss guest. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>